so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. I'd, I'd rather go to Taco Bell. Oh, gross. No. Yeah. I've never, ever, ever eaten at Taco Bell in my whole entire life. Why would you? Why? What kind of childhood did you leave? I didn't How do you not go Taco to Taco Bell? Bell? How? It's gross. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast, where each week we are talking about our work at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians should know about the things going on in the world. I'm Brent Leatherwood, and alongside me this week is not Lindsay Nicolay, who is on a beach somewhere down in Florida, taking some well-deserved time off, but actually my colleague from the Midwest, Julie Masson, coming to you live from Kansas City. Uh, she is filling in capably for Lindsay Nicolay. So Julie, go ahead and say hello to our audience that is very familiar with your work. Hello from the Midwest, from the most wonderful region of the United States. That's right, where they where they like to enjoy their pizza uh, as opposed to Taco Bell in college, it sounds like. So, yep, that's right. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you are able to step in here for Lindsay. Uh, we certainly miss Lindsay, but uh, we're always thankful when you're able to join us here on the ERLC podcast. So let's go ahead and get rolling. What has the ERLC been talking about this week, Julie? Well, Lindsay is phenomenal at her job, so she had us set up very well to cover a very important topic this week, and we've been talking about Pastor Appreciation Month, which is happening in October. So, of course, we here at the ERLC are very, very thankful for all of our Southern Baptist pastors, so we wanted to take some time this week to really give them some helpful content, but also talk about how much we appreciate them. So we did a variety of things. And one thing Lindsay had lined up is an article by Alice Strickland called Pastors, How Is Your Mental Health? The Importance of Recognizing Your Own Struggles and Seeking Help When Needed. And I want to pull out this one quote that Alice wrote. And she said, pastors have had their own emotional responses to what has been happening in our country and the world, while also leading people through collective grief. You know, there's a lot of stats and research out there that talks about how hard this past year, past year and a half, really, because, wow, we're more than 18 months into all this. It's just been a really hard year for pastors. And so I think it's right that we acknowledge that. And we acknowledge that pastors have been dealing with a whole slew of conflict and chaos and also grief within their members. So all of the pastors dealing with that, that's a lot for them to carry. So this is a really helpful article. The other thing we did is we had a great word of encouragement from SBC President Ed Linton. He recorded a video for us that we were able to share on our channels. And I think what he said was so good. He reminded pastors to just be faithful with where they're at, the church that they're at. Um, they don't need to worry about some of these big goals and 
just kind of stressful things that they're dealing with or in the midst of all the stressful things they're dealing with. He's saying, hey, be faithful to the Lord, be faithful to what the Lord has given you. So I thought that was really good and very timely. And then another thing we're doing, Brent's going to be a part of this. On Sunday, some members of our team are going to be driving down to Georgia to give the John Leland Religious Liberty Award to Griffin Gulledge, an SBC pastor in Georgia. Brent, do you want to talk a little bit about why we're honoring him? Yeah, so we felt it was uh, very appropriate to honor Griffin because it is, as you mentioned, Pastor Appreciation Month. But Griffin is uh, the the pastor who served as messenger from his church down in Madison, Georgia, and he spearheaded the historic effort this past June at the SBC annual meeting to call the atrocities that are being perpetrated by the Chinese Communist Party in in China, these atrocities that are being perpetrated against the Uyghur people uh, in China. And uh, essentially, uh, he led the resolution to call it what it is, a genocide. And this resolution was unanimously approved. And in doing so, the SBC became the first denomination to call it a genocide and use that designation. And we hope uh, that in doing so, it is spurring on policymakers to take further actions, uh, both here in America and abroad, to send the message to China that their actions, uh, their reprehensible actions against the Uyghur people and other religious minorities are unacceptable. And uh, so we are thankful uh, that Griffin had the foresight and the just the steadfast uh, leadership to do this. And so we're going to go down there and uh, we're going to honor Griffin on Sunday in, in front of his congregation, and we are going to give him our uh, 2021 uh, John Leland Religious Liberty Award because he is absolutely deserving of this. And so are all of our SBC churches who stood alongside him through their messengers at the annual meeting to support this very important resolution. So it's, it's going to be a great time. Uh, one of our trustees from the RLC, uh, Jimmy Patterson, uh, who is from the state of Georgia. Uh, he's going to come over from the town where, where he's a pastor and uh, provide some remarks about why Southern Baptists care about human dignity and international religious liberty. It's, it's going to be a great time. Yeah, I love that we are giving this award to Griffin. I just think, like I said, Southern Baptist pastors, pastors from all the denominations have really endured a lot over the past year and a half. And so the fact that Griffin, while pastoring a church, was also able to be aware of something awful happening around the globe and draw attention to that, I think is is really cool. All right, another piece we had going this week was by Jared Kennedy, and it was titled Three Opportunities Public Education Offers to Christian Families. Now, I'm a public school mom, so I was, I was really happy to see this run, and I really resonated with it. And I, of course, had to share it. I love sharing ERLC content, but I really appreciated also seeing what people wrote because, you know, a piece like this could cause a lot of opinions to be shared. And it was actually pretty positive what people said. So let me share a couple of things we heard from our audience. So Carrie P from Facebook said, I appreciate this article so much. Thank you. My husband and I asked the Lord each year where he wants us to place our four kids. And thus far, the Lord has said public school every year. It's certainly challenging, but I am regularly in awe of how my kids shine the light of Jesus among their classmates and teachers. So I thought that was really neat example of, of someone um, from our audience just saying, hey, this is how our family has done it. We're very thankful for how the Lord has pointed us to send our kids to public school. 
And then on Twitter, we heard from someone, Larry A said, very well written. I agree with your points. A hybrid approach could also work in agreement with your article. Hybrid approach would have the Christian education in the earlier grades and then enter public schools in the junior high school or high school grades. And that is something I see a lot of people do. Sometimes Christian schools will kind of phase out after eighth grade. So I really appreciated the feedback from that. Like I said, I'm a public school mom. We have really enjoyed sending our kids to public school. We have an amazing district. I used to be a public school teacher, so I'm a little bit biased there. But we have just found it has really given us many good opportunities for us to talk through things with our kids that they see at school, because we really believe that we as the parents are the biggest influence on our kids. So we're constantly asking them what they're learning in school, what they're hearing in school, and they're able to bring that to us around our supper table. We can talk them through with that. So we're big fans and we know every parent does it different and that's great. Yeah. So, I mean, we would, you know, obviously we just need to state that there is no biblically mandated way to educate your children. And so there are definitely going to be some parents like my wife and I who have decided that for the season of life that our children are in, a Christian education is the the way that we feel is appropriate. There's going to be others who who think, yeah, public school is is the way to go. And I feel completely confident in uh, equipping my children for that setting. And both of those are God honoring. I mean, that's the thing. Parents, just train up your children at home in the ways of the Lord. And that is the essential element because the reality is uh, no matter what educational setting uh, your children are in, the enemy and, and this fallen world is going to test them and is going to set traps for them. And they're going to get the wisdom, the biblical wisdom about how to navigate those different hurdles from you, parents, uh, not anyone else. And so I think you know, this, is a, this is a good, helpful article, and uh, it's certainly a thoughtful one. And that's what we want to constantly be presenting to our audience. That's right. And like I said, I was a little worried by running this piece that we would have some hot comments coming in on Facebook, but there were only a few and by and large, people were were positive about it. So that's good. I think anytime we talk about options for schools, it's really helpful for parents to weigh in on why it has worked for them rather than coming down on parents who choose differently. So I was really pleased with how our audience on social media responded to this article. All right. Last but not least, I'm going to feature an article written by our very own Chelsea Sobolik, who is the host of Capital Conversations, one of our other ERLC podcasts. She came out with a very helpful and timely article on Senate appropriation bills. So I'm going to have Brent talk about that because you can speak far better about that than I can. Yeah. So so this week, we've already kind of done this with the House. Uh, the House has put forth legislation uh, that removes a number of bipartisan and uh, long adhered to pro-life protections. And, and so that, you know, that's not too surprising. The Senate this week produced appropriations bills for the remaining parts of the government that need to be funded. And contained within those uh, were some very uh, serious issues as it relates to the issues that, that we care about here at the ERLC. So these funding bills uh, removed pro-life protections with uh, some of these our audience are going to be very familiar with, the Hyde Amendment uh, that ensures that no taxpayer funding can pay directly for abortion, and then uh, the Weldon Amendment, which ensures that rights of conscience for healthcare professionals and institutions are not uh, denied. And, and so both of those have been stripped, 
And then in addition to those, uh, there are now efforts to codify uh, sexual orientation and gender identity within these bills. And so uh, these are very concerning pieces of legislation that if they were to pass, as is right now, they would end up plowing over the consciences of millions of Americans who just don't agree uh, with these sorts of far-left agenda items that are, are being pushed through these pieces of legislation. So this week, I sent a letter, our team sent a letter uh, under my signature to members of uh, Senate leadership and to all the members of the U.S. Senate, putting us on record as opposing these changes uh, that are being proposed in these legislative vehicles. And so we are hopeful that the Senate will stand strong and will will ensure that pro-life protections are put back into these bills and that these harmful uh, SOGI regulations are not included. Uh, we are certainly going to be keeping an eye on this as they work their ways through the committee structure and ultimately into a final appropriations bill that, that would be sent to the President of the United States for his signature. But uh, needless to say, uh, we are watching on this, and we will keep our audience abreast of any developments about this. Okay, that's very helpful. And I just want to highlight something Chelsea made sure she included in, in here, which I love, and I think it's important that we as an organization keep this front of mind. And she said, Southern Baptists affirm the full dignity of every human being and that every life is worthy of protection, beginning with the unborn. We believe that life begins at conception and that abortion denies precious human lives, both personhood and protection. Scripture is clear that every person is made in the image of God and his knowledge of each of us even precedes the creative act of conception. I think that's so important. You know, a lot of times people talk about this issue sometimes without a lot of kindness or a lot of scriptural depth. And so I love that Chelsea emphasized that this is what we believe and here's why we believe it. So I thought that was good. I do have a question for you. Yesterday we were in a meeting. You said there's no dumb questions. So I'm going to hope that applies here. What is an appropriation bill? Sure. Yeah. Appropriations bills, very simply, are the pieces of legislation that ensure that we pay the actual bills and fund the actions of the federal government. They are the funding that is used uh, to carry out the different initiatives of the federal government. So you have two tracks. You have an authorization track. That means a bill runs through the system and a program is authorized to actually exist or operate. Well, then you have to fund it. And so the second track is the funding bills that come along to make sure that it has the resources to actually carry out the function it is intended to do. So that's that's where we are in this process. These are the funding bills that are being debated before Congress. Okay. Funding bills. Okay. I learn something new every week. And I'm glad Chelsea and you and other people on our staff really understand this. So, all right, that's all I got for ERLC content. Like I said, Lindsay did a great job getting us ready. I hope she is enjoying her time on the beach, although she did share with some of us girls on staff that she's not sure she wants to ever take a vacation with small children again. So, well, that's the thing. When you when you do take the small kids, it's, a it's, trip. it's really not a vacation. That's right. It, it's just more like a family trip. Because you still have to do, you still have to do all the same parental responsibilities you would at home. You just happen to maybe be in a little bit different scenery. Yeah, you've got to deal with sand and dirt and whiny, tired kids. So it's a trip, Lindsay, not a vacation. 
So let's move into the culture section for this week. And there were some big developments in culture. So this first story comes to us from Axios, and it has to do with the untimely death of Colin Powell. So from the story, Colin Powell, the first black U.S. Secretary of State, died of complications from COVID-19, his family announced Monday. He was 84. Powell served as National Security Advisor for former President Ronald Reagan from 1987 to 1989, becoming the first black person to do so. Former President George H.W. Bush picked him to be the first black chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. During his time as chairman, he oversaw numerous crises, including the U.S. invasion of Panama in 1989 and Operation Desert Storm in the Gulf War against Iraq. He also served as Secretary of State under former President George W. Bush. And look, Colin Powell is the very definition of a public servant. He served with distinction in the military as a general and was routinely uh, cited as a top strategic mind in our armed forces. And then he decided to come over to the world of diplomacy uh, and serve in these various positions within the federal government. And all of us owe him a debt of gratitude. And you know what? I I remember um, growing up in the post uh, Gulf War era that we lived in in the 90s, there was a lot of speculation that had he run for president in 1996, he would have been the first African-American president of the United States, which uh, is just interesting to think through You know what might have been had he decided to run in 1996. And, um, you know, Julie, do you know why he decided not to run? Was he tired? Because that's a stressful job. I mean, <laughs> well, that may have that may have played into it. Uh, but the the public reason uh, that was given is honestly, it's a bit of a, a sad reflection uh, on our culture. His wife was afraid that he would be assassinated, and so she she really did not want him to run for president because he he might win, and she was fearful uh, of what that might mean. So, thankfully, we have come a long way uh, since then. And we have had our first black president in in former President Barack Obama. But uh, it's just interesting to speculate uh, about what might have been. I I will say this. We can't address this without thinking uh, about something else. So there was some commentary this week that was truly vile. And it came from a former president who released a statement that uh, was essentially speaking ill of the dead, of Colin Powell after he passed. And it was just very sad. And I would just say, let's not be a people uh, who perpetuate such statements because, well, we're Christians and we know that there is more to life uh, than this uh, current time between times that we find ourselves. And uh, we we should honor public servants like Colin Powell, who Look, he was as flawed as you and me, Julie, and anyone listening to this, because uh, we know uh, the truth of our sin nature. And there are legitimate political disagreements to have with someone like Colin Powell. But that said, uh, we need to honor people who who go into public service and have a track record, an exemplary track record, like someone like Colin Powell had. We we should uh, be able to find room in our public discourse to say good things about individuals like him. And so that would be 
that would be one final thought that I kind of have on on this particular section. Julie, do you have anything? Yeah, well, I just really appreciate that he served he served so many presidents in both sides of the aisle. So I really appreciate, I, I like that you're referring to him as such a good public servant because he was. I mean, the fact that he cared about the health of our nation really showed in his work and his career. And I think that's important. And again, going back to what Chelsea said in our article about the appropriations bills, Human beings are made in the image of God. Colin Powell is made in the image of God. So therefore, he's worthy of being treated with dignity and respect. And so I think what you said is is right, that we, we need to not speak ill of him. He was an image bearer, and he did great work for our nation. One of the things I appreciated about Colin Powell was uh, in his post-public service days, he still continued to find ways to serve. And one of the things that folks who listen to us will know that I always love each year is tuning in to the National Memorial Day concert in Washington, D.C., and he always served, I think, as some sort of like honorary chairman of that event, and he always gave some opening remarks to that event that takes place each year on the hillside of of Capitol Hill, and um, I just always thought that, that, man, he's he's just good, and I just so appreciated that he wanted to recognize uh, those who gave the ultimate sacrifice to our nation, not in some partisan way, but in a way that truly honors those who have served. So, yeah, I think Colin Powell was a he was a good one. So it's a it's a shame that he has passed. All right, moving on. Uh, this next story comes from Reuters, and it deals with the Texas abortion law that we have talked about several times here on the podcast. So Reuters says this that the Biden administration is asking the U.S. Supreme Court to block the Texas abortion law. President Joe Biden's administration on Monday asked the U.S. Supreme Court to block a Texas law that imposes a near total ban on abortion, calling the Republican-backed measure plainly unconstitutional and specifically designed to evade judicial scrutiny. The administration asked the Supreme Court to quickly reverse a decision this month by the New Orleans-based Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals to lift a judge's order blocking the law while litigation over the statute's legality continues. The justices, in a 5-4 September 1st decision, let the law take effect in a separate challenge brought by abortion providers in the state. The Texas measure, one of a series of restrictive abortion laws passed at the state level in recent years, bans the procedure after about six weeks of pregnancy. So there's a bit of an update to this. The Supreme Court has taken up this move by the Biden administration. And as a matter of fact, on the day that we're recording this, Thursday, they have asked for legal briefs from each of the parties involved to be submitted so that the court can uh, make a decision about this. So lots uh, happening at the U.S. Supreme Court. They're, they've begun their term. So in the midst of weighing this, they're doing oral arguments for various cases. And so it is interesting that uh, they have decided to go ahead and essentially reopen this, knowing that here in just a few weeks on December 1st, uh, they will be hearing oral arguments in the Mississippi case, the Dobbs case that we have referred to previously, uh, which we believe in the brief that we have filed in front of the U.S. Supreme Court, we believe this is the vehicle for overruling uh, Roe versus Wade, uh, the horrific decision that kind of brought uh, the abortion regime that we currently live under. And so we have asked the court to, we think it is time to overturn Roe versus Wade. So it's interesting how they are taking up this case, as well as uh, knowing that they're going to be hearing oral arguments very soon in that case. 
so this is certainly one that uh, we are going to be monitoring, and uh, our audience, I'm sure, is very interested in uh, how this turns out. Well, and I know, especially those who follow our Psalm 139 project, which is our ultrasound machine placement initiative, we have placed, I believe, at least one machine in Texas. I feel like that we actually have a couple there. So everything's bigger in Texas, as one of our old colleagues would say. But um, I would say that Southern Baptists in Texas are definitely as pro-life as they come. And this is a big issue that they're watching. So while we're talking about the Supreme Court, we might as well stay there for our next story. So this comes to us from the Washington Times. Former Vice President Mike Pence is weighing in on a pending case before the Supreme Court on the right of a public school teacher to pray. Joseph Kennedy, a public high school assistant football coach in Bremerton, Washington, regularly kneeled and said a prayer on the 50-yard line after games, described in court papers as a quiet prayer of gratitude. School district officials blocked him from doing so, and he was put on leave and eventually lost his job. So this is probably a story that a number of folks who listen to our podcast would be interested in, and certainly it is one that we're going to keep monitoring. Well, this is one that I'm a little bit more aware of simply because I'm not tracking with all of you baseball people, but I do track with football. So I'm hoping our audience is more of a football audience, so they probably are more aware of this. Right. Well, so for those who might be interested, we have submitted uh, a brief to the U.S. Supreme Court asking them to take up this case. So it's currently on appeal. Uh, They have not yet uh, granted it the right to be heard, but we have asked that they do so. And essentially, our argument in the brief that we have filed to the court is that uh, just like students, teachers do not shed all of their constitutional rights at the schoolhouse door. This is happening at a school affiliated. Uh, event. And we think that the First Amendment rights of this teacher are protected if he so chooses to say a prayer. And also that uh, teacher speech and free exercise rights cannot be abridged uh, because students and others voluntarily exercise their rights alongside him. So we've got a brief before the Supreme Court that kind of lays out these different arguments. And we do think it is an important one for religious liberty rights here in the United States. And we would ask that the court allow this gentleman to continue expressing uh, his First Amendment rights. Okay, and our final story comes to us from the BBC. And this one's pretty noteworthy, actually. A 19-year-old pilot, Zara Rutherford, is halfway through her world record attempt. Rutherford, 19, is a teenage pilot attempting to become the youngest woman to fly solo around the world. She is halfway to achieving her goal. Uh, She's had a few delays, but after arriving in Nome, Alaska in September, she's already halfway to breaking a world record. Her next stop is Russia. And speaking to the BBC, when she started her journey, Zara said that the greatest challenge would be when she travels through remote places like northern Russia or Greenland. There aren't many people who live there, so if anything were to go wrong, I'd be in a bit of an awkward situation, she said. Well, speaking from my own experience, I think pretty much any bit of turbulence is a bit of an awkward situation. I can't imagine flying around the world all by myself. As a 19-year-old. What about you, Julie? Well, I was just fascinated by this story. One, because I have a 14-year-old girl, and I cannot imagine letting her fly by herself in a regular commercial plane um, within the next, I mean, maybe within the next two years, sure, but Sending her off as a 19-year-old by herself, I think that would be 
a lot. I mean, what were you doing when you were 19? Were you capable of flying a plane by yourself around the world? I wasn't. No. <laughs> no, I, I was I was barely self-sufficient in college. As a matter of fact, I wasn't self-sufficient. <laughs> <laughs> and I certainly would not certainly would not have been responsible enough to fly a machine across the globe. I know. In fact, I think when I was 19 might have been when I um, had my first kind of big car accident. So I definitely don't think I would be flying a plane. What I thought was interesting is both of her parents are pilots. So that does make me feel a little better. I thought, you know what? My husband and I, we don't need to feel bad about our children not being able to fly a plane by themselves because we don't know how to do that. That's not something we were able to impart upon them around the dinner table. Well, there you go. All right. Well, Julie. That is your look at this week in culture. And now it's time for the lunchroom where we tell you what we are talking about with each other. And Julie, you're going to be up first because Lindsay's not here. And so I get to dictate the terms of this here podcast. So yes, please regale our audience with what you have brought to our virtual lunchroom this week. Well, this goes a little bit against my anti-Christmas things before Thanksgiving. But look, this resource is really good. This is a book that actually comes from one of our partners, The Good Book Company. This is a book that I read last year, and it's called The Christmas We Didn't Expect. It's an Advent book, which the reason I'm talking about it now, even though I don't want to talk about Christmas this early, is that you need to order it now so that you have it. I think I saw yesterday on Twitter that Advent starts six weeks from now, but apparently Advent is coming up and I've actually never done an Advent devotional until last year. And this isn't even an Advent devotional. You can use it as such, but I really loved it. It made me reflect and quiet my mind, quiet my soul in a very busy season of Christmas. And I really appreciate it. In fact, I appreciated it so much that when I was done with it, I grabbed my phone and I said, hey, Siri, remind me to order the Christmas we didn't expect on November 1st. And it's coming up. It's in my reminders. And I'm going to be ordering it for several people in my family and ship it off to them because it was that good. The Christmas we didn't expect from the Good Book Company. Well, there you go. Well, that for someone who likes to celebrate Christmas year round and listen to Christmas music year round. And for me, I'm perpetually into uh, in the run up to Advent. I think that this is uh, fantastic. So, all right. Well, what I'm bringing to the lunchroom, it's a, I guess everybody seems to have a bit of a newsletter uh, these days. They either have a newsletter or a podcast, I, I guess. That's the thing that all the cool kids are doing, I hear. Or a Substack, which is kind of a combination of both. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, so I, I stumbled onto a Substack from a writer named uh, Matt Labosh. And Matt was talking about something that I myself have noticed recently. As a matter of fact, probably we all have. As a society, as a culture right now, we are very angry. And we are just angry with people around us, friends, people we have no idea who they are. In some cases, we, we might actually be uh, mad at, at figures online that aren't actual people. They're just bots. Uh, there's just so much anger that seems to be just going around our society right now. Well, so Matt detailed in this newsletter, uh, which we'll link to in our show notes, uh, just how he is seeing this anger play out all around him. And I just thought, I mean, there's a couple of different points in here, but uh, Julie, you pulled out one and I'm going to pull out an, another one. It says, he writes in here, besides, 
Achieving equanimity isn't just a natural state, but a choice. These days, it very much involves swimming against the tide. You nearly have to choose not to get riled by all the manufactured outrages, kabuki theater conflagrations, and faux Twitter fights that are conducted by catty people, for catty people. The rage merchants abound and are all too willing to make a buck from stoking your anger and wet-nursing your resentments over quote-unquote issues you'd never even heard of five minutes prior. Don't be such an easy mark. And I just think that is incredible advice. And it, it honestly, it hits the nail on the head. There is so much anger that just has infiltrated our daily lives through, I, I mean, I hate to say it, I feel like in a lot of cases we're whipping a, a dead horse here, but social media just allows this stuff to just pervade our thoughts at any given moment. And I think a lot of us, when we are utilizing social media, because you know, there's quite a few of us who social media kind of came into our lives you know, later in life, we don't realize that there are people on social media who are just there to get clicks by saying outrageous things or provoking you to think outrageous things and to then engage social media and say the worst possible, most unfiltered things. Like we need to realize that this is being done to us. And so I just thought that this Substack piece was incredibly good. And uh, I shared it with the rest of our team. And Julie, I know you had some thoughts about it as well. Yeah, I thought it was incredible. I sent it to one of my family members. You know how you you have those people in your life where you can be angry together about something? I sent it to that family member and I said, oh, this is a must read. So, but yeah, I, I totally agree. I thought that he just hit the nail on the head and I was very convicted about a lot of it. And I think it put in perspective some of what I'm seeing in, in people that I know where I'm realizing how angry they are, but also realizing how angry I can be. So the moral of the story is you need to read The Christmas We Didn't Expect in preparation for Christmas and calm your soul, just be quiet for the Lord, get off social media because it's making you angry. You know, I would just say this, look, as Christ followers, we should not be angry people. First and foremost, we, we should not be angry people. And in any of our interactions, whether it's on social media or otherwise, uh, we should be known for our, you know, Philippians uh, reasonableness. And and people should see us as uh, as very reasonable. And it, it's just, uh, it is amazing to me how easily people seem to have a short fuse right now. And I got to be honest, I think, I think social media is the reason why. One of the points, I mean, now that we're still talking about it, one of the points that you had said earlier in the week that you had highlighted is he writes in here uh, how He's noticed that people seem to think that their most interesting thing about them is their political opinions, and that didn't used to be the case. And I would say that, yeah, that's probably driven by social media, too. We are just in a polarized state right now, and uh, Christians have got to be the one that pulls our culture back from the brink. Amen. Preach it. So, all right. Well, Julie, thank you for sitting in for Lindsay here. This has been a good, fun, enjoyable podcast. I'm happy to help. I'm no Lindsay. She is just the best. In fact, we have told her, you and Brent are phenomenal on the podcast together and you need to keep it that way for forever. But I'm happy to help while she is enjoying her trip, just not a vacation. (laughs) Exactly. All right. 
Well, that concludes this week's episode of the ERLC podcast. It's just a reminder, you can find the links to all of the things that we talked about today in our show notes. And if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your podcast app and leaving us a rating and review. And in addition to listening to the ERLC podcast, be sure to check out our other ERLC podcast. The Digital Public Square airs every Monday, and its host is Jason Thacker, who is one of the leading voices on technology and ethics. And if you like staying informed about important policy issues that matter to Southern Baptists, Capital Conversations is our podcast directly from Capitol Hill, which is hosted by our colleague, Chelsea Sobelik. So search for Digital Public Square and Capital Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week with more content. Mm-hmm.